This is the Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. So with a bunch of listeners requesting us to get into Carmen's story, that's exactly what we're going to do today. Cheryl, take us away. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so we had I had a lot of people reach out to me um, regarding Carmen's letter and kind of to dive more into it and get into what kind of went on when she presented this letter, um, what happened through it. It was kind of broad on her other podcast, and we're just going to try to take it down and get a little bit more into each stage of what really happened, what, how she came to that, how she got through it, what happened after, and dissect it a little bit more. So I guess we're going to just start off. So thank you, Carmen, for allowing us to dive into your life a little bit more deeply. <laughs> I'm under a microscope. Here we go. You are. You're under a microscope. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, there's a lot of people respect you. There's a lot of ex-members that respect you. And I think for a lot of those teens that are on that list, it means a lot to them that you you did fight for them. And I think it is it's healing, especially on my on my with on my level, that to be able to sit down and talk to you and witness what you went through and how you really did fight for us. I think it will be very healing for all those people that are still on that list that are dealing with this in very deep ways. Um, some that can't open it up, um, some that have opened it up, some that are not willing to look at it at all. But I do think that by you coming in and let us really getting into this letter and kind of what took place within that whole situation, that it might help us all. So I guess I think my biggest question I have for you is like, what were you witnessing that prompted you to take this chance and write this letter? I don't think it is take a chance. It was life or death. And oh, wow. um, what we were witnessing was the murder of 18 or 19 young people literally run out of the church um and the reasons that they were being run out of the church were absolutely un uh, unrecognizable from anything i had ever heard of and when you say run out of the church you mean excommunicated right i mean excommunicated removed from their parents homes at 13 years old set on the street corner and um, there was one that I even, I, I kind of reviewed the letter again yesterday. I hadn't read it for a while because every time I read it, I get mad all over again. And um, one was even as young as a 12 year old because he swore at his grandfather. He was excommunicated and his whole entire family was shut up because he said something to his grandfather um, that was inappropriate. And that just completely blows my mind when I read it again. It makes me mad all over again. So just to give the listeners some some background, um, this is what year are you in the church still? Let's let's give them the locality of where the church was and let's tell the listeners um, in a broad sense what sparked you to write a letter about these children in the church. Well, I got married in 1989. So I went to Maple Creek in October of 1989, and I believe the first of these young people had already left at that point. Um, and then he was, he may have come back for a short 
time period because I remember when he was permanently removed, um, which was only two months after we got married. And for the next three years, it was a nonstop um, going back and forth of young people leaving. And I'd never in my life seen so many people leave home. Um, and I don't even I didn't even feel like they they meant to leave home. You know, they would be a happy member of the family one night and then the next night we'd get to meeting and and they would say, we are going to we're going to withdraw from so and so because he got drunk with one of his friends or so no warning. Just oh, no warning. No, no. You might have had a good conversation with his kid one night and come to meet in the next night and they've gotten rid of him already. And some of these instances happened without even the, the priests going to visit these kids. They would just call the family and say, you need to leave Johnny at home tonight because um, we're going to shut him up. And Johnny stayed home and they shut him up. So you couldn't understand what was going on. Like no. why they were kicking out young people like this. No, no. Go ahead, Richard. Uh, yeah, just some some viewers may never have been in the Brethren and may not know the background. Um, we're talking about Maple Creek in Saskatchewan, Canada. And uh, this is a, a Brethren and a, a Plymouth Brethren Christian Church locality. Um, and, and in the Brethren, when you get married, you move to the locality, the congregation where your husband lives. So that's why... Carmen moved to Maple Creek when she got married because she married a young man in the church from Maple Creek, Saskatchewan. That's just some background. No, that's great. Go on, uh, Carmen. Um, so after having, having witnessed this over and over and over, um, by the time we got to the fall of 1997, I had five children at that point. And it hadn't ceased. Um, at that point, there was already 19 gone. Plus, plus there were several families. Um, the whole families were gone. Um, I'm talking about a family that had eight kids, a family that had two kids. Like there was nobody from their family still there. And I just remember looking at my kids and thinking, my kids are going to be every bit as spirited as I am. And there will be no way that they won't at some point smart off to somebody. And then you just watch this thing spiral right out of control. You lose one child and your family's broken and everybody inside is devastated because they can't speak to the one on the outside. And I just remember looking at Rick and saying, I'm not going through this. So we either need to figure out, is Maple Creek wrong? Is this whole church that we're going to wrong? Or because this just this just doesn't cut it. Um, I knew from reading my Bible that's not what the Bible says. That's not what you read in the Bible. And we would come to meeting every night, and they would read a scripture, but then they would twist it and apply it in a just a completely convoluted way. I, I couldn't tell you how many times I heard the scripture um, read about it. It's in the it's in Matthew where it talks about if a man has a hundred sheep and he loses one, what does he do? He leaves 99 of them and goes after the one. And here we're watching these kids get kicked out of the church. Nobody goes after him. Nobody talks to him. And if you do talk to him, you're the next one that's scooted out of church. So 
they apply this scripture, but they do the complete opposite. And who are the elders uh, like confirming this and allowing this to happen? And can you tell the listeners also how old these 19 were? Like what were the age ranges? From 12 to 18. So this is, this is a portion of the letter that you had typed up. And it looks like it wasn't even computer typed. It looks like it was actually typed from an old-fashioned typewriter. It sure was. <laughs> <laughs> and it took a long time. <laughs> so, yeah, do you want to go ahead and read this? Sure. So we've taken a little chunk of the letter out so as to make sure that, you know, we're not exposing something that shouldn't be exposed. So this little chunk of the letter says, we question four sets of parents and we feel some of their concerns need to be searched out. It becomes evident that from, one the, from what the parents said of letters they have received, a number of these young ones were confi confined without personal reasons from the priests. And many have gone for years outside of their parents' house, any shut up position, without any attempt from priests to contact them. It seems many have never been appealed to to stop their present course of worldliness and return to the father's house. In the light of the parable in Luke 15 about the man who has a hundred sheep and lost one, pursued it until he found it, carrying it home on his own shoulders. We are exercised. Maybe our young ones have not been pursued enough. We have appealed to my father, which is Harry Drever, on three occasions privately about having more feeling, about having more concern for the young. Sorry to say, he usually leaves feeling we are just against him. We have lost 18 young ones since 1988, which only one of them was ever recovered. Two of these young ones have been gone from their parents' homes for over a year and have not, and nothing has been done yet. Wow. So 19 children between the ages of 12 and 18 kicked out of the cult, the only thing they've ever known, too. Let's remind the listeners of that. Like, this is not some church that people went and be like, oh, this looks like a nice Christian church I want to join. Everyone was born into it. And these kids are getting kicked out. And you can't figure out why at this point. You're going, what the hell is going on? So you write a letter to who? We sent this letter to John Hales. Um, okay. to, we sent it to Lloyd Pasquitz in North America and Jim Design because they would have been the two most prominent in North America. And then we also sent it to three local brothers in Maple Creek, one of being Morris Hope, one being Harry Drever, and the third one being uh, Roger Drever. And mm -hmm. what we attempted to do was to involve someone that hadn't been involved in the whole mess. So by sending it to Roger, we were trying to get one person that hadn't been involved in it um and what we the what the feeling was was to get the information out there and see if this is normal in this church it wasn't normal where i grew up so at that point we were trying to give the benefit of the doubt is this normal for pbcc or you know is this a wrong church that we're going to and where are you, where were you from? I was from Nietzsche, Nietzsche, North Dakota. And my grandfather actually led the church for all of my growing up years. And he led it worldwide. Worldwide. Yes. Worldwide. Yes. So, I mean, the only thing I had to compare it to is how I grew up. And I knew growing up 
that the things that they were saying they were shutting these kids up for and and they would often come to the meeting and they would say so and so was out with his friends um until three o'clock in the morning so we feel the need to purify the assembly and shut them up what, so what you're exactly sitting there happens at three o'clock in the morning well, and you're sitting there at a nine o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning meeting, and you know very good and well they haven't had a chance to go and speak to these young people. Um, and at that point, they could have got a flat tire on the way home. Anything could have happened. They have not spoken to these young people yet. And in some cases, come to find out afterwards, they never did speak to them. But they put them in a shut up position to protect the assembly. And they never the spoke to them again. The Plymouth Brethren Ch Christian Church says that they don't get involved in family matters at all. <laughs> right? Um, this is what they say publicly. And look yeah. at what they're doing. Kicking yeah. children out. They're, yeah. Even if there was a religious excuse for or, or finding for it, doesn't make it okay or not a crime. It's a crime. It's a crime yeah. against children. That was the most shocking part to us. And looking at my kids and seeing all five of them in a row and knowing that kids are kids, you know, kids are going to do kids things and they're more than likely going to do some of the same stuff as I did. <laughs> and I sure didn't end up on the street corner at 12 years old um, for some of the mischief that I got into. Although based on this level of, of crime, maybe I could have been. Um, it just, there's just no way. I'm not going to let people tear apart my family uh, how, how maybe i'm too you... much of a mama bear but no good for you but how, how long did you spend writing it the letter and um, it took me a good month i think because we also interviewed four sets of parents um and in order to get the information that i needed i had to verify dates and reasons that that some of these kids were confined and People didn't readily give that information out. There were several elder sisters that took notes of the meetings. And I was able to get some of the dates and some of the information of what was said in the meeting um, verified through the elderly sisters. Yeah, go ahead, Richard. Yes. Yeah, so just, just, just to clarify, um, who is John Hales and what's the significance of him? Um, just, just to give some background for people who are not familiar with the church. So at the point that we wrote this letter, uh, John Hales would have been the leader. Uh, he took over after my grandfather. In Bruce fact, Hales' I got, dad. That's correct. And when I got married and had to ask permission to get married, we had to ask John Hales for permission to get married. Wait, so they have to, the leader has to authorize every marriage? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And you had to provide financial details of how much money you had and did you have the money for a house? And yeah, but we had to go through. That doesn't sound like a mainstream Christian church to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forget that part. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, I had to ask. I had to ask John Hales before I could get married. Yes. Wow. Yeah, everyone. Um, it, it's, everyone has to. See what you got to miss out on, Lane? I know. Uh, how well, gross. you could still ask, couldn't you? I mean, you I know, could. 
if if you really decide to settle down, you can give Bruce a ring and ask for his blessing. Yeah. Oh, I just don't like the government involved in my relationships. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, okay, so let's. I want to get to a serious note here. Um, now this letter goes up about these kids, but now it's been so many years. What do we really know about this letter? And, and all these kids. What was it most likely about? What was it most likely a list of, of? Well, I mean, the letter that went out was simply an appeal. Like, what is wrong in Maple Creek that the young people don't want to stay? Um, is there, is it the leadership? Are we following a different Bible? Are we following a different doctrine? Or are we covering something up? Are we covering something up? Yeah, because why would a locality or why would a place like Maple Creek lose, you know, 10 to 15 percent of their their local meeting in a span of eight years? What is wrong in that place? And I think there's a lot of people that, you know, when they heard we had written a letter, they they the only thing they would say is, I'm sure glad somebody's asking some questions. So I think they had been looked at for a long time as what really goes on there. I'm going to share the list of the, the reasons the kids left. I'm just going to. Wow. This, Can you read those out for us, Cheryl? Let me just get you to be full screen. <clears throat> okay, so here, um, the causes for shut, shutting up or shunning. There's a 15-year-old quit coming to meeting. 15-year-old got drunk, 15-year-old male out with friends until 3 a.m., 15-year-old female wanted to go home to parents, 12-year-old male, and I'm assuming this is parents that were already out. That was okay. actually parents that were at home with a kid that didn't want to come to meeting. Nothing oh. had been done. They weren't shut up. Wow. They were still part of the meeting. Wow. Okay. 12-year-old male swore at his grandfather. 15-year-old male stepped on a Bible. And 16- he was... That 15-year-old male that stepped on his Bible. Sorry to interrupt. He mm-hmm. was he was withdrawn from for stepping on a Bible. And, and the oh. significance of that is if he had been shut up, he could have stayed at home with his family. But this young man stepped on a Bible and he was withdrawn from, excommunicated. He was put to assembly death for stepping on a Bible. And the common and term was for what that was would be homeless. To, that was what was brought to the assembly. He stepped on a Bible. So he was put homeless as yes. a 15 year old. Yes, because for he stepping stepped on a Bible. On a Bible. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you, I'm going to let you finish reading these because then you can kind of explain them. No, because it, it, just, okay. it just makes me so, it just yeah, makes okay. me so upset Angry. all over again. He stepped on a Bible. What teenager doesn't have that moment when? They get emphatic or dramatic. A few of mine have gotten dramatic over the years. And they do something that they wouldn't do ordinarily. But he was put to assembly death because in a dramatic moment, he stepped on a Bible. And it's like the one that swore to his grandfather. He was 12 years old. What 12-year-old? He's not even a teenager. He hasn't even reached the point of responsibility yet. And because he swore to his grandfather, because his grandfather the backstory was critiquing him for something and he swore at him. He was put out 
of the meeting. He was no longer at- allowed to attend the meeting. If he met his his regular friends at school, he could no longer speak to them. And his siblings could no longer speak to him. And he was 12 years old. And it was just so shocking to me. There's a 16-year-old male. He talked to a 15-year-old ex-peeb at school. And that might have been the 15-year-old that's further up on the screen. And it might have been ex-peeb by two months. And ex-peeb is someone who's... Yeah, an ex-peeb is someone who has left, who's been already excommunicated. Right, right. Um, And he talked to a 15-year-old ex-peeb. So they're both minors. And they're both at school. Out with friends till 3 a.m. 14-year-old out with friends till 3 a.m. Parents of seven kids shut up because they let their children return home from living with peeves, which is PBCC members. Parents of two shut up because of disagreement with a leader's wife. Parents of five shut up because their son swore at his grandfather. Yes. And when we say shut up, okay, let's let's clarify for the listeners what that means. So that means another term that they used for that was confinement. And what that means is all of a sudden, instead of being able to go to daily church to get your social gathering, because that's what we did every single day, uh, you were no longer allowed to do that. And then anyone inside the church was no longer allowed to speak with you, except for your priests and your family if you needed something absolutely dire in emergency. That's confinement. Now they're doing this. To children. How is this? How is this okay? So sad. Like this gets me going too. It just, it really gets my emotions going because I don't, I think what we want to convey to those that are, are, that don't, aren't part of the PBC or been a part of the PBC is the death that you have to grieve while your family is still alive when this happens. So imagine what we go, what a normal person would go through when someone close to them dies, you go through that same process while you're walking past them, going to the grocery store, while you're walking past them, going into the your post office. In Maple Creek, everybody got their mail at the post office box. You always ran into them. You'd walk by. I remember walking past my uh, family, and you can't even you can't they can't look at you, right? It's yeah. just. <clears throat> I think this is probably the hardest part of why people don't understand why people don't leave this is why is because it's so hard to separate from your family and it takes something drastic drastic for you to finally realize that your freedom and your life is worth more than the grief you know you have to go through and that's what happened for me is that it, it was, it came to death or life for me. It literally was suicide or I leave. And I chose to leave. I left to live. And it's, it's just hard. I do grief workshops, grief therapy all the time. I don't know if it will be anything I ever get through, but it's just, it's circumstances like this where compassion should have been instilled in this in a normal locality. I think in other localities, I mean, I am going to segregate kind of Maple Creek to its own little pocket of cancer in this right now, because it was, there was no compassion. And if they wanted to give you a priestly visit, 
wherever, whenever they gave it to you. I would get priestly visits on my paper route that I never talked to my parents about because I knew it would destroy them. And Morse would stop me on my paper route, give me a priestly visit until someone that used to follow me around saw me with him getting a priestly visit. And then all of a sudden, boom, he'd cut it off and he'd leave. He didn't really want to do it. He just had to show that he was on me. Wow. I just, um, yeah. this is, this is insane what they do. Um, this letter, did you get any reaction from it too, Carmen? Oh, we got did a media like a reaction. reaction from the, from, from John Hales. I mean, like from that top guy. We did. We did. We actually spoke to him um, on the phone and we waited for a week. Um, because of course, immediately it blew up in Maple Creek and they called us every night for a week and they wanted us to sit down with them and go over it. And we were like, okay, so first of all, we need a cooling off period because everybody's mad. I'm upset. Um, Rick's upset and you guys are furious. And how do you know that they're furious? You come to the meeting. The prayer meeting was the night that the letters were delivered and Morris Hope received one of the letters and he came to the prayer meeting and he stood up in the prayer meeting and he kept his prayer very short. Um, his prayer was about the seeds of discord and division that have been sown in this locality. We have the evidence of it now and Lord take this division away from us. And he stood up there and prayed for his two minute prayer about the division and discord and the evil report that has gone out from the locality. What kind of a shepherd is it? that could read a letter of 18 young people being put out on the street that stands up and calls it an evil report. Now, what kind of a shepherd is that? He's not. He's a, he's a, he's a criminal. Now, let's, let's go into what it, what it was. Now, what was really most likely, allegedly, happening to these children that was actually getting them kicked out? I think it's complex. Um, I, I don't know that I don't know that it's like a one-off answer to that question. That was one of the things that we wanted to know because what, what came out of it often was, and, and when they first got the letter, they were so angry because it was not accurate. And when you sat down with them and, and finally after a week, back up a little minute here. Finally, after a week, we actually called Mr. Hales ourselves and we said, listen, we want to get your take on the letter before we go and sit down with them because this is not going to be fun. We know it's not going to be fun. They've called us every night for a week and they finally got so angry and so aggressive that if we didn't sit down with them, there was this veiled threat about what they were going to do, which was, you know, probably shut us up or whatever. And so when we talked to Mr. Hales, the first words out of his mouth were, I received your letter last Monday. And he said, I read through that list and I sat down and I wept. So he, he actually wept. had some morals. He had some emotion about this. He did. He said, he said, I had no concept. I had no idea that 18 precious young people were put outside of the meeting. And he said, when I read some of the reasons, I, I just don't understand. He said, I just, he said, I have to be honest, I wept. And so we talked to him a little bit about it, didn't really go into details, but we told him what our concern was in sitting down with the local brothers, that they would probably just shut us up 
And he actually went as far as to think about it for a few minutes. And he quoted a scripture, and I can't remember the exact scripture, but the scripture is the man in the Bible, um, his wife had come to him and she was concerned about something. And she had explained to him her views of it. And he took her advice and addressed the situation. And what John Hale said was, they are going to go after you and they are going to attack you because you came from outside of Maple Creek. And they were going to say that you have influenced Rick. And he said, what I want you to quote to them is this scripture where this man listened to his wife and then went out and acted on it. He said, there's nothing wrong with a man listening to his wife and correcting a situation that needed to be corrected. And he was right. Of course, that's the first thing they went after us on is how could we write about the situation in Maple Creek and take it to John Hales, take it out of the locality, you know, and, and like we said to them, we've attempted, we've spoke to you and, and Harry was one of the priests coincidentally, which is your husband's dad. So this is my father-in-law. And I looked at him and I said, dad, you know, very good. And well, we have sat down with you three different times and we've gone over and I didn't have the paper in my hand when we sat down with you. One time was kind of informal, but all three times you knew we were asking questions. Why did you do this? How can you shut people up without even visiting them? What is the point of getting rid of young people from the assembly? Well, we, we, I think we have a pretty good idea now. I think we have a pretty good idea. Let's not pussyfoot around this. Like th some of these children were sexually abused. That's why they were kicked out. That's and, why and I was kicked out is when I came forward about my sexual abuse. That's why so many other members get kicked out because they come forward about sexual abuse in the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church and the church kicks you the fuck out. And I think at that point, we actually didn't even, we weren't aware of that situation. No, of course which not. Which only makes it worse. It only makes it worse. But you raised the flag. You knew something was wrong. Why are these children getting kicked out for, for absolutely bullcrap reasons? And not that there's any good reason to excommunicate someone ever. It's a completely immoral practice. Um, but you knew something was wrong. You knew something was wrong. But now we look back and we realize that this could have, this could be way, way, way worse. The thing is, is Mr. Hales had all this information, but did he do anything about it? Nope. Not a thing. See, that's what they do. They, oh, it's awful. It's so bad what happened. And they all blame it on those circumstances and those bad times. And, oh, it was a bad person. And, oh, you know, if... That person might have been a sexual abuser but uh, or a pedophile, but they died out of fellowship. Oh, they're outside the church now, so it doesn't matter. No, doesn't make it okay. I think Richard had some, a point there. Oh, no, I was going to ask, I was going to ask Carmen the same question as to, um, you know, John Hales professed to be very upset and to weep about this, but actions speak louder than words exactly so what did he actually do and and let's make it clear to anyone who's not been in the brethren that the leader of the church has absolute um tyrannical power over every single locality and every single person so he had in his hands i mean if if john hales had said bring those 17 children back 
to their parents' houses right now, if he'd sent that message to Maple Creek, that would have happened yes. right now. Is that it what, would have been? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. 100% fair. And I mean, it, in writing it, I guess that's kind of, if, if the church had been the same church I grew up in, and I'm not saying that there wasn't problems with it back then, but if it had been, and if someone had gotten a phone call from the leader of the church, they couldn't get there fast enough to reverse mm. the judgment that he declared on. Like you he know, had and, the and power, right? He had the power to completely collect all of us up, yes. take us back to our parents and 100%. find some way to repair this. And he chose not to. And I think that's super, super important for people to know because we take the PBCC into what it is now and the amount of attention it gives to their businesses to their loyalty, to their beliefs within the political system, to RRT, to UBT. They give all this just dedicated time and energy. I tell my parents, I've told my siblings that even though things, I know Morse had was shut up. I know like Harry, everybody had to do their time. Like there was this big review. They had to do their time. But I tell, told my parents, nothing has been done to help those that have been kicked out. Nothing, none of us, other than we got this little tiny handwritten note saying, you know, well, what, you know, we're sorry for what had happened to you and you know the right place. It's just I think that was the shocking thing. That I think that was one of the most shocking things to us is to realize, so we, so we go to that priestly visit that night and we sit down with them and we tell them exactly what Mr. Hales told us to tell them. And we also knew that in the background, he told, he had a personal conversation with them and told them he did not want to see us uh, confined for what we had written and for the stand we had taken, which in the end may have been a curse more than a blessing, but we won't go down that road. Um, but you get to this place where, okay, John Hales has said he wept. And if you were a leader, if you were a shepherd in that locality, were you not scared enough that you had screwed up that you wouldn't change course? But they did not change course. It did not change minds. It did not change hearts. And they spent four and a half months, every single meeting that we went to, they spent the entire meeting criticizing the letter, criticizing the accuracy, criticizing the way it was delivered, criticizing our critique of them. And after four and a half months, I sat down with one of these three guys and his wife. And I was, I mean, I'm not going to pussyfoot around it. I was angry. And it was at the point before, it was like just days before we had decided that's it. We're done. And I went to the doctor and the doctor told Rick, he said, he, you need to get her out of here because I, it was not going to be pretty. And I sat down with this man and his wife and I said, you have spent four and a half months attacking us and telling us this was a personal attack on you. And you've totally missed the point of the letter. And it is now at a point where it is untenable because we can't continue to sit through these attacks. After four and a half months, they haven't gotten any less. So at this point, I cannot allow this to ever happen to my children. And I will not allow it to happen to my children. I don't think it's right what you did. I know it's wrong what you did. You got rid of 18 young people. Um, at that point, one of them had come back. Originally, it was 19. You got rid of 
you have murdered. You have put to assembly death 18 young people. And I will not allow that to happen to my children. And that was the note that we parted on. That was the last time I spoke to him. Last time I ever hoped to speak to him. Wow. Wow. Let's let's uh, tell the listeners what assembly death is too. So there's two levels to excommunication in the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. First level is confinement or shut up, where you're not allowed to attend church and no one allowed to talk to you. It's meant as a pressure tactic and a discipline to get you to confess your sins and come groveling back. The second level is the permanent one, pretty much permanent. It's excommunication, you know, completo. So it's um, withdrawn from. They call it withdrawn from. And that when they say you were withdrawn from, they pretend you are dead. They see you in the street, walk past you. They will not turn their head. They won't even acknowledge your existence. There is no, you know, invites to funerals. There is no talking. There's nothing. You are dead. So when you're Carmen taken says, out of the photo albums. Exactly. Yeah. Show, I'll maybe show you what maybe happened. this is a great time to show them. Um, Cheryl, myself, um, all of Can us. You see that? Um, they take pictures of our of a of the families and they they show them all. Um, and what they, they sell do when them you. All. When yeah, they sell them to their members, and when you are excommunicated, they will just delete you out of the can family guys, photos. Can you guys see that? Yeah. Okay, so this is my parents. Um, <clears throat> let's go. Actually, let me go to one that's okay. So this is 1994. I'm only shut up, so I haven't been withdrawn from yet. And this is their new photo album, and as you can see, I no longer exist in their family. It's like you're wiped. And then this is currently still no, no word of me in there at all. Um, I have to go to full screen again here. Sorry. And it's as though you never existed. That's the shocking part. You are, once you are, um, you're dead. Communicated, you never existed. They remove your picture from every picture book they own. They remove your, they remove every trace of you in their home. Yeah. And if, if, if there's an existing photo album that has you in it, they will put a sticker over your face. Yeah. So this yeah. is yeah. Um, this is when we talk about Carmen's um, father-in-law. So this is Harry. He was one of the trio in uh, Maple Creek that caused a lot of these people to leave. So if you can see here in 1994, there you see Rick married Carmen Simonton. Here's currently. They're, they're, they're no longer, they don't even, there's, they don't exist. They don't no. exist. And here's Lane's parents. He doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. And you know, I really hope they hear this because I'm still fucking here. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, it is so hard. It's just, and you it know, takes a lot to kill me. You can't just delete me from a photo and expect me to fucking die. You know, I'll funny. show up at your fucking doorstep. <laughs> it's funny when I first met Richard and he didn't quite really know who I was. And so I explained to him who I was and literally he was like, I've stayed at your, your siblings, my sister's place lots. He's like, I had no clue you existed. So like, they don't, they don't speak of you. They don't, you're not mentioned. You're wiped out of there and you're, you're gone. You are gone. 
Like, could you imagine just like taking, I mean, I have three children. Uh, you got children, Richard, Carmen, you got children. Could you imagine taking one of your child and literally pretending it doesn't exist? The heartache on a mother and a father that that would do plus what happens to the child. So like, I know my parents are just brainwashed. I know that inside that they're probably dying, but they don't know how to get out of it. But what amount of brainwashing, if, if you stop and really think about this, what amount of brainwashing, what amount of pressure must go on a mother to turn off that mother switch? Right. It like, would have to be, it would have to be daily church. They would need to get it every single day because it's unnatural. Yeah. It goes like against the, mama the mother's instinct. Me, exactly. The mama bear and me, there's no way my children could do what they could do the worst possible thing on this planet. I would not leave their back. I, that's yeah. just in me. Yeah. Carmen, like if you, if there was something that you could say to those people in your letter that you fought for, now what would you like what would you say to them i would say i you know that's a really good question i would have to say to them don't take it personal and um, it's what it, they were brainwashed any mother that can turn her back on a child and meet your child in the grocery store and not speak to them not acknowledge them um not even uh, act like you've never met this person before they are more friendly to the occasional person off the street. That's true. And they are to their own children that they might meet in the super supermarket. And imagine what brainwashing must go in behind that because you can't turn off nature. We're made that way. You know, if you've raised animals, and we've raised animals, and it, it's funny, if a cow gives birth to a calf and you happen to get between the cow and the calf, and I've seen this happen, that cow can turn on you so fast. I've seen a cow flip a 200-pound man over the fence. Wow. Because you are not going to touch her baby. And that is Mother Nature. That is how we are made. So what does it take for a mother to push a 12-year-old son out because he swore at his grandfather? What kind of brainwashing goes into that? Well, to erase I, everything that we are born naturally with. It's their doctrination of separation, right? That's, that's what they base it on. And they love to base everything on scripture. And so they base it on, we are somehow separate from the world, right? Now, I just want to go through this whole concept of separation really quickly. How are they separate? Do they have different air? No. Different water? Nope. Different food? No. Do they live on a different planet? Mm -mm. Same houses. So where is the separation? Their cars are manufactured by worldly people. Everything in their house is manufactured by worldly people. They're just as much on this planet and, and doing the exact same things as everyone else. So I don't get where the separation is. And if you really look at it, the separation is completely right up there it's right in their mind they're not separate from anything no well, they would they would say oh well we separate from evil but then look at look they, at maple creek they were separating from evil and at the same time they're harboring a pedophile and still are harboring a pedophile within that wall of separation so where's the separation from evil 
they're separating themselves from abused children instead of yeah. helping them. Yeah. Um, another word that I want to just take apart, uh, or actually, I, I'll ask the listeners because we've we've got some people asking about this, and I want to ask the brethren members uh, that are that are listening, or maybe some ex members that would know what does the word wordly exactly mean, and if you could send your answers to info.getalife@proton.me, uh, we'd like to hear your answers because I'm I'm just confused. I know that wordly people, according to the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, is anyone not a member of the church. But what about objects? Are objects wordly? How wordly can something get? Is something less wordly than another thing? Um, fax machines were once wordly, and then I found one in my parents' closet, right? And it fucking freaked the shit out of me because I was like, what the fuck? Um, so devices used to be wordly, and then they're not wordly, and I'd like to know exactly when that happens, too. It's good to keep it real, <laughs> right? Got to keep I just it wanna real. Know. I want to know what does it what does it mean to be wordly? Like, like is a beard? I know beards are wordly, but but what length? What if it's what if like does the length matter? Does when does Jesus get mad? Is basically what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about something interesting because they base everything on their scripture, right? We were talking about there's basic their separation everything so let's see if that's a good thing well i listened to an amazing podcast recently i highly recommend it sam harris uh making sense and he had a guest on yasmin mohammed and she has given up her islamic faith and is speaking out against uh wearing the hijab uh, and such things now she talks about how the first time uh in her marriage she was beat by her husband and he punched her in the face because uh, he saw her walking around the living room without uh, hijab on. Um, and when she went to her mother, her mother went, oh, come here, look, and opened up the Quran and showed her the scripture and said, see, he's allowed to do that. Now, it just brought back so many memories and of the church, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, because that's exactly what they do. They just will go, see, there's scripture. We can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter if it's a crime, if it's illegal, if it's abuse of a child, pedophilia. Ah, we got scripture. It's good. What do you guys think of that? Well, I mean, it's an excuse for not having morals, isn't it? I mean, they're they're brainwashed into unquestioning obedience. All that all that's actually asked of them is to unquestioningly do whatever the leader says or whatever the leaders of interpretation of scripture is. So if they're told by Bruce Hales to do something that's clearly wicked and immoral, they will do it because the fact that Bruce Hales has said it magically purifies it. It makes it yeah. right. But so in you, fact, they, they have no morals. They're, they're what just you're like saying, robots. Richard, what you're saying, it sounds like a cult. It does. It does. What a strange coincidence. You know, maybe we should look into that at some point. <laughs> Carmen, you you go to church now, right? Like you yes. found a church outside of us. What is this yeah. on this topic of like the difference of what you experienced back in the PBCC versus what you experience now? What is like what are your biggest differences that you have found in an outside church? It's funny that you ask that. When we left um, Winnipeg and came down here to Tennessee. I don't think we had crossed that bridge yet 
you're still in the flight mode. Like I got to get out of here. And we get down here to Tennessee and all of a sudden our kids start going to church with the grandparents. Um, and (laughs) we got, we got drugged to church. We had a drug problem when we got to Tennessee. We got drugged to church. Our kids <laughs> drug our butts to church. And as shameful <laughs> as that sounds, it's true. <laughs> but what was shocking is in the 18 years that I have gone to, we didn't stick to one Baptist church. We've gone to several different churches. And most of the ones that we've gone to have ended up being small Baptist churches. But in the 18 years of going to church, I have never, ever, heard a church service where I felt like someone in the church must have screwed up. I've never been to a church service where I felt like the preacher knows that Susie Q down the street um, was drunk last night because a church service is not used to attack people. And I think if you, it was funny one day I sat down with the computer and I Googled what is church? Just, you know, just one of those silly things that you do. And what is church? Church is meant to be a family. A church is meant to bring, you know, a certain group of people that usually have the same beliefs, but don't always. Because I would say there's definitely people that we go to church with that we don't believe the same things. And there's even things in the Baptist church charter that I might not 100% agree with. But there's no pressure there that you have to say, I'm dedicated to the charter of Baptist church. There's no pressure there. Do Baptists um, eat and drink with non-Baptists? They sure do. They sure do. <laughs> they, they eat and drink with homeless people. They eat and drink with anybody that happens to come in there. Sounds like Christians. Sounds like Christians. It was amazing and it was shocking. Not only to realize that we had a drug problem, but to realize that everything that you've been taught is, is up in the air, you know? You have to relearn how to be a Christian. And not only that, you have to relearn how to be a mother and learn that it is okay to be a mama bear. In fact, that is your job. What would you say to, let's just say, I know of some people in there that have been restored that are sitting on the fence. What would you say to someone that's been restored and sitting on the fence inside the PBCC right now? I would say, you know, what's right. Yeah. You know, what's wrong. You know, what's right. And I think it's funny. Quite often when I get on a podcast, I, I love to ask this question. If you could walk back into a PBC gathering and stand up there and they were going to listen to you, what is the first thing you would say or do? The first thing I would do is I would say, guys, church is a family. So I want you all to get up play switcheroo in your seats and go sit with your families. And I think if they ever realize that that is what it, that is what a church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a family. Most of these issues, the kid that came home at 3 a.m., that should have been taken care of in his own household, in a family way. And if they reached out to someone else to help them, they thought a grandparent could help them or a leader in the church could help them. It should have been able to be fixed that's that way. I mean, that's what families do. We fix things inside the house. We don't make a big deal of it. And we certainly don't put somebody to death for being out until 3 a.m. in the morning or for stepping on a Bible or for swearing at grandpa. If, if they, like, let's, let's take a look at this for a second. 
um, nobody, no humans don't like suffering, right? We just inherently don't like suffering. Um, so if the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church was like the, the place to be where you would be the most happy, people would be jumping over the fences mm -hmm. every fucking day, ripping those doors down to get inside, begging, begging, begging to join the church if it alleviated even 1% of your suffering <laughs> and made you 1% happier. People would be lined up outside those churches every day. And every member that left would go back. Yeah, you'd be like, right? oh my God, it's terrible. This is terrible. And that's not the case, is it? Most but we were told, we, we were told when we were in the Brethren that there's all these poor people outside who are desperate to get in if only they could. And it was never quite explained what was stopping them. But, you know, they, they all had their noses pressed against the glass, apparently, you know, like starving people outside of McDonald's. But um, that's what we were told. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Like, exactly. like people... People want to give you a hug when you tell them about the church, right? They're like, oh, my God, thank you for leaving. And they just, like, give you a hug, you know? And yeah, uh, yeah. nobody's lining up to get into, into that place because it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. They lack compassion, right? And I'm not saying that the people that, that you know, like my parents and your parents, like our parents, it's, just, it's not that they lack compassion because they're brainwashed, but compassion is an element that is left out of there. I remember my dad did, it's the one preaching I remember that he did, and it was all on compassion. And he actually cried and he got very, very vocal. He actually got a phone call after that preaching and got into trouble for it because he got too emotional and passionate about it. And it is the one, if anything I remember from the teachings inside there, it's my dad's preaching on compassion. And because it was so needed at that time, right? It was what our locality was lacking. We were lacking this human compassion that we innately have for one another when we're struggling, right? It's just. And yet Bruce Hales is preaching that we aren't hating enough. Yeah. You know, like the exact, the, the opposite of, of love, compassion, altruism, forgiveness. No, let's, let's go for hatred. Okay, they're Putin. Like, come on. <laughs> okay, so um, I just kind of want to wrap up what we were talking here with Carmen. Was there anything more you wanted to say, Carmen? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. It was, it was interesting when you said that about your dad, because your parents were one of the sets of parents that we actually talked to. And I remember your mom coming over to the house after we had talked to them together. And she came over to the house. She sat down on my couch. And started playing with with my kids and she sobbed yeah. over the way you had been treated and and so it's so shocking to me now to realize that she would go to meeting with someone who hurt you so badly and say it's okay to do that and not do anything you know? it is it's the, and it is it's I had therapy before I came on and did this podcast because I knew I'd need it <laughs> I purposely had it planned before because I, we're talking about Maple Creek right yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that I'm kind of going through again right now. It's the sorrow. It's the sorrow because I relate to her as a mother, yet she didn't have the heart and the gusto to be able to choose me and what happened to me over her, her, her cult, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It is one of those things that's just, you know, and, and you just, you bite it off in small pieces, right? 
you know, I'm, you just bite it off in small pieces and you digest it the way you can. And it, sometimes it goes away. I mean, we all know the cycle, right? It kind of goes away and then boom, it comes up out of nowhere. Uh, like my birthday's on Monday. So I know that's kind of one of the things that gets me. It's that every year where you kind of go past and you're like, oh, you know, it's all you want, right? You just want that one phone call that says, you know, happy birthday, you know, but it is what it is. Okay. Yeah. So I know Lane, you had some updates that were going on that you kind of wanted to talk about. Hey, maybe just before we, we close up, well, we could ask again our viewers because it really worked last time. We got so much information. Um, we'd like to know more about the UBT Go for Gold program that ran in 2018, 2019, when UBT would sell tickets between ten to $15,000 to go on a, on a brethren vacation. Okay. And this is how... This is how some of the vacations were. One Richard's of them was, hearing this for the first time. Yeah. I missed out. I missed out. Oh, I'm so... getting back in there. Does anyone got a ticket they could sell me? <laughs> These tickets, this is where you can go, get though. This, Richard, get this. So one of the places would be New York City, and you got to go past old uh, Taylor's house or whatever. Um, Ripping. And, and one of the other gripping ones is you get to go past your grandfather, Carmen, Jim Symington's farm. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. And you got to go to Washington, D.C. and see some government buildings. Sweet. Now, get this. Yeah. Get, guess what they did in New York, though? They rented a cruise yacht, okay, like a yacht to drive around the harbor of New York. Open bar, of course. And hymns <laughs> being played over the speaker's how fucking terrible. I would be jumping off. I'd be like, fuck this life fest. I'm gone. Get me off. Oh, my goodness. The worst vacation ever. Oh, and they also. Who, who wants to go to Symington Farms? Who wants to go out and smell pig shit? I'm sorry. Who? Nobody. And they. Uh, what else did they do? Oh, they reserved, because they're not allowed to go to restaurants, of course. I can't get my camera to focus. Uh, they're not allowed to go to restaurants, so they, they just reserved the entire restaurant. Because, I mean, why not? They're just spending charity money. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. So this is the UBT Go for Gold program. We'd like to know more about it. If you went on one of these vacations, we definitely want to hear from you. Um <laughs> For me, as a closing note, if you find this subject interesting and you want to know more about the cult um, and you're not an ex-member, you might find my documentary enjoyable called The Devil's Trap by CBC. And there's another documentary even more recent called Breaking Brethren with City TV. So these are wonderful documentaries uh, that help explain more about the And we'll, we'll have Lane's story come on here and we'll bring on some clips of that because it is very compelling emotional roller coaster that you went on in that in that documentary and I think it's very relevant I think of like all the, the the people that were on Carmen's list and when I watched that it reminded me of myself and many of them that are on there we've also um I've talked to there's three brothers from Maple Creek that are um hoping to come on here and we'll dissect even in more kind of what they went through with what Carmen knows about um, that will be a very interesting and revealing podcast. I'm really looking forward to that. <clears throat> but we are going to, Richard, is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, yeah, um, just a little bit of news from inside. Um, apparently there's a new hymn book revision uh, coming up with a hymn by Bruce Hales. And we actually got a sneak preview of that. So oh, we'd, we'd like to put that on for you to enjoy. Okay, let's go to it. It seems today 
you see is violence in movies and sex on TV. But we're in those good old-fashioned values. I wish we used to rewind. Happy And, you know, he's the furthest thing from Family Guy, which is even, you know. <laughs> oh, uh, we had to end this one with something funny. <clears throat> it's awesome okay, that you got a recording of that, Richard. Yeah, yeah, I just snuck, I snuck a phone into the meeting one day. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you guys for joining us. And um, we will be back with more ex-brethren with their stories. Much love to you all. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me.